For those of you who weren't here last week for our Vision Sunday, we were just sharing that one of the things that we believe God wants to do in the life of us as a church this year is to encourage us to recognize how we are to be living set-apart lives. All right, and the reason for being set apart is not only so that we're different for the sake of being different, but whenever we look through the Old and the New Testament, we see that God has great plans and purposes and promises for His people, but He wants to prepare them, and so He needs them to be set apart for His purposes. And so this year, we're going to be looking at how can we do this? We're going to be looking at it through our preaching, through our ministries. How can we live lives so that we are there and ready for God's plans and promises and purposes in our lives. But not only do we look at that, we also looked at the fact that God wants to prepare us. So in the process of living set-apart lives, God wants to shape us, God wants to sharpen us, and God wants to forge us so that we are ready and equipped for those times where God wants to use us for His kingdom purposes. And so if last week, if you were here, I was really gunning for the heart. But this series, which is a series called Step Up, we're going to be looking at the hands. So how can we look at what we do in a set-apart way? So that when we look at our work life, when we look at our life in the ministry of the church, when we look at how God spiritually equips us for His work, when we look at God's mission, that's what we're going to be covering over the next four weeks. How can we live lives in all spheres of our existence so that they are set apart for God? The series is also called Step Up for a reason because it's going to require a step from you. It's going to require us not going to, at the end of the message, going, okay, another great sermon, Steve, or another okay sermon, Steve, but rather, what is the next thing I'm called to do in faith? As I hear God's Word speaking to me, challenging me, it's going to require something of me. And so we're going to step into our roles to be set apart in our workplaces, in church, ministry, empowerment, and in mission. You see, the struggle for so many of us is to connect Sunday to Monday. Because for most of us, we, we, we love, I'm, I'm hoping, we love the Sunday experience. We love the worship. We love the friends. We love the coffee. We love the brownies. Hopefully you like the sermon as well. But then we go home and we do our thing. We get back to the real world. And then we wake up on Monday morning and I don't think I could pay you enough money to remember what was spoken about the day before, right? And so how do we connect Monday, our so-called real lives, to what I really believe is our real life, which is the work and the calling that God has upon our lives? How do we connect the real world to what God is doing here on a Sunday? And so today we're going to be talking about how we can prepare ourselves to live set-apart lives in the workplace. See, most of us are going to wake up tomorrow morning and prepare to get ready for work. And we all have our different routines. So some of you, I'm betting all of you are going to wake up super early and have a quiet time first, right? Not putting up hands. All right, but we're preparing for the day. So we, we eat some spiritual food before we eat other food. And then we're going to, I don't know, we're going to have some breakfast. We're going to brush our teeth. We're going to run through the shower. And we're going to be prepared to go for work. Now, some of you are waking up tomorrow morning to prepare, to prepare to go to work. And what I mean by that is some of you are going to go to school. And some of you are going to go and study. 
And the point being is that by the time we get to our workplaces, we have spent a large amount of time, energy, and resources into preparing and equipping ourselves for what we're going to be doing. Now, some of you, that has meant studying anything between a one-year diploma or a three- or four-year degree. Some of you are studying for seven, eight, nine years to equip yourself so that you're prepared for your work. Some of you, that just means maybe having an apprenticeship. Maybe that means going close and being close to someone who is in the same sphere of work as you, just sticking close to them and, and letting what they have learned rub down onto you so that you are equipped Either way, we spend so much time upskilling ourselves, spending time to prepare ourselves for what we do between Monday and Saturday. And the question is this, how do we do that as Christians? What does it mean to do that and live set-apart lives? Does, does it only mean do all of that, just don't do naughty things? Go to Vasti, do your work, you know, go forward in your career, climb the ladder, just don't steal and just don't lie and don't sleep with your secretary, all right? Is that the sum total of what it means to work where you and I are probably going to spend the greatest number of waking hours in our lives? Or maybe is there a bigger picture we can tap into that regardless of what you're doing tomorrow morning, there's something a plane of existence, a plane of understanding that you can rise to that gives greater meaning and greater purpose to whatever you're gonna be doing tomorrow morning. And just by the way, when I talk about waking up tomorrow morning to our workplaces or to Vastia School, I also wanna include those of you amongst us that are not waking up at six in the morning to get ready for work, but you've been awake since three in the morning because of a dirty nappy. And at some stage in the day, you're going to be cleaning the vomit blankets for the 10th time. And you're going to be wondering, what is this all about? Does my life have purpose? And so there are superheroes amongst us that are raising future leaders. And I want to include you in today's message. And so as I think about all of this, I think one of the things that has made the Christian world weird about meaning and purpose in our work is what we're going to call the myth of calling. The myth of calling. Now, if you've been around church for any period of time, even here at Riverside, you often hear people like me talk about the time in their lives where God called them into the ministry. And for me, it was a very clear moment. It was a moment where it was so clearly God that I couldn't ignore it. And maybe you've heard the stories, like the heavens open and the heavens give us this vision of a greater meaning and a greater purpose for my life. And we feel so strongly about it, we're willing to abandon all other courses of action so that we can go into this ministry. However, the impression is unfortunately created is that a few are called and God's gonna push the future forward in them. And God is gonna bring heaven to earth through them and God is going to do great things in them and through them in their spiritual elite calling. And then the rest of us are just going to go to our ordinary jobs, doing very ordinary things. And that is a myth. Because I want to argue this morning, this is what I pray God does in your heart, is the minute you got saved is the day you got called. 
And every single one of us is called to partake in the mission of God. That's what this whole series is about. But today we're going to be talking about your workplace and what you're going to be doing on a Monday and a Tuesday morning. How does that fit into God's mission and purposes? And how are you called and equipped for that? And so the first thing I want to talk about this morning is the fact that we are all called to kingdom purpose. We are all called to kingdom purpose. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So is this verse saying, go to church for the glory of God, wake up on a Monday morning and do that for the glory of you. Or is it saying, okay, listen, when you're praying, when you're in life group, when you're in church, when you're worshiping, when you're at grace, when you're thinking about church people, then yes, do that for the glory of God, but just, you know, endure work. Just try and not, you know, be depressed by the end of the week because of your workplace. No, this verse is saying there's a way of living where everything we do including what we eat, what we drink, and what we do on a Monday to a Saturday, we can do that for the glory of God. There's a way of being a teacher to the glory of God. There's a way of being a business owner for the glory of God. There's a way of being in the medical field for the glory of God. There's a way of being in public service to the glory of God. There's a way of raising children for the glory of God. From time to time, I don't like to do this too often, but... You may know that the Bible was written originally in Greek and sometimes it's useful to dive in there because sometimes there's some nuggets in kind of the Greek language that you maybe don't get in the English. So as we get into this verse and as we look at this word where Paul says, do it all for the glory of God, when we discover what that word means by Paul, it means all. (laughs) Do it all for the glory of God. So that is a challenge and a calling for every single one of us. Jesus gives the same challenge to us. He says, Matthew 28, 19. Just here's the short version where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Did Jesus say, listen, I've I've got a huge mission. I've got something that is so important. I don't know if I can trust this into the hands of the many. So I'm gonna choose kind of the Jedi spiritual elite. And I'm going to take them and I'm going to empower this little minority. And I'm going to change the world through them. And then everybody else can just go around their so-called real lives, ordinary lives. Because that's what Jesus said. No, that is a command given to every single one of us. Because the day we got saved is the day we got called. And so every single one of us has a mandate that regardless of your career or your vocation to be about God's kingdom, Jesus didn't create a hierarchy here. We are just going to do this in different ways. So the question is not whether you are called into ministry, but where and how. And that includes what happens between Monday and Saturday. And for some of us here, in fact, for most of us here, have you ever thought about the fact that most of the New Testament Christians who heard Jesus preach and were changed and transformed by him went to a workplace after that? And brought about change. And so this is not in spite of Monday to Saturday. For some of you here, maybe for most of you here, 
the calling that God has of your lives is going to manifest itself between Monday and Saturday. So how do we generate this, this elevated view of what I am doing in the so-called vocation or this work? So we're all called to kingdom purpose, but we are also all uniquely created to fulfill our kingdom purposes. As far as the big picture goes, every single one of us is part of that big picture. But then we get, when we get to the tapestry of what God is wanting to do in this world, every single one of us is gonna be uniquely called and uniquely equipped to play a role in his reigning and ruling of this thing called planet Earth and his kingdom. So we go right back to the beginning when God created humanity. One of the first commands he gave us is found in Genesis 2.15, where it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now that again is a, a, a way of framing all of humanity's existence. God places us in a garden to work it and take care of it. I don't know if you've ever noticed that God made Adam a gardener, not a park ranger. Because a park ranger is there to preserve the natural habitat. A gardener is there to go into the, 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 the basic resource of that is there and bring out the potential of that environment and take the soil and the trees and the seeds and nurture something and cultivate something, something that is beautiful, something that is God honoring, something that is there for humanity's flourishing. And nothing has changed because God has placed every single one of us in the world to take care of it. And God is gonna call us to unique places and spaces to do this and bring out this human blessing potential, which by the way is probably the best definition, biblical definition of work. And so God takes you and he places you in a garden. For some of you, the garden is a school. For some of you, that garden is the medical world. For some of you, that garden is the business world. For some of you, that garden is the IT world. For some of you, the garden is retail. For some of you, the garden is nurturing and raising future leaders in your children. But God is not asking you to simply be a park ranger and keep things preserved in his natural habitat. He wants you to see and recognize and develop and cultivate the God-given potential in those environments. And God is gonna uniquely equip you to do that. So what does this look like? Well, Martin Luther, the German theologian from the time of the Reformation, he uses Psalm 147 just to use it as an illustration. He says, in verse 13 to 14, he, this is God, he strengthens the bars of your gates, blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. And we're like, yes, amen, God do that for our city. But then Martin Luther says, but how does God do these things? How does God strengthen the bars of the city? By city planners and architects and politicians who pass good laws to protect the city. How does he bless our children within our midst? Through the work of teachers and pediatricians. How does he make peace in our borders? By means of good lawyers and police officers. How does he fill us with the finest of wheat? By farmers and factory workers and restaurant owners and coffee baristas. And so every single one of us needs to figure out how we play a role in that story. 
and how we are gifted by God to develop this world because that's part of what it means to be a Christ follower. So the big question to ask this morning is this. If we're trying to understand our gifting and our role, why did God make you smart? I'm assuming you're all in that category, right? No nudging, wives, all right? Why did God make you intelligent? Why did God gift you with regards to how you relate to people? Why did God make you successful in business? Why did God give you such grace that when you nurture young people, just they flourish? Why did God give you an ability to to be creative, to be musical, be autistic? That is the big question for us this morning. Why did God give you leadership skills, practical skills? Because we call these things, no, no, no. Church is about preaching and praying and singing. We call these things secular skills. But here's the way God's trying to challenge us this morning. That if we have these so-called secular skills, there's nothing second class about them. And God wants to use your vocation to care for the world through you. As you work, you're being used by God in his original mission. And let me tell you something. The world craves this kind of purpose. There was a Gallup poll in 2015 that surveyed roughly the 5 billion people in the workplace. And they said, what do you need more than anything else? And do you know what rose to the top? Above shelter, above food, above security, above water, the very highest need that the workforce wants and needs is a good, meaningful job. They want purpose. They want their life to mean something. They want Monday to Saturday to count. But maybe you hear these following verses and you're like, yes, that's what my job feels like. Ecclesiastes 2, 22 to 23 says this, what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving for which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at, their, at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. And you're like, Stephen, that is my life verse. You have just described my job. And maybe one of the reasons why you think these verses describe your job because you're like, listen, I'm at the bottom of the ladder. I'm at the bottom of the economic pyramid. Maybe if I just earned a little bit more, I'd have more purpose. Do you know the guy who wrote these words had everything? He had everything. Everything he saw, every person he saw, every woman he saw, he could take for his own. He could access every pleasure created on planet earth. And yet he writes these words. Work is meaningless. Work is a toil. I can't sleep at night because of my anxiety around work. And this shows us that success without purpose is devastating. Worldly success without kingdom purpose is devastating. Stephen, you know what? I want to try to give that a spin. I'd love to have worldly success and see if what you say is true. Well, Jim Carrey, he says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Business Insider Magazine 2015 published an article about a guy called, not too sure how to pronounce his name, but I think it's Marcus Person. And he was the creator of the wildly successful video game Minecraft, and he sold his company for $2.5 billion. 
after having sold his company, he went and bought a mansion for $70 million. If you do your math, that's about a billion rand. And of course, he was living the high life. He's hanging out with celebrities, having wildly exotic parties and doing everything that he's set his heart on, having high-end vacations. And you would have thought that must have made him one of the happiest people on planet Earth. And one day he took to his Twitter account to tell the world the truth. He said, the problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying. Hanging out with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I have never felt more isolated. But when God takes our so-called ordinary lives and puts incredible kingdom meaning and purpose, elevates our view of what we do, suddenly we don't have to fall into these uh, times of despair. I don't care what you're doing. There's a great story about John F. Kennedy who visited the NASA Space Center. During his visits, he noticed the guy carrying a broom. So he went up to him and he said, hi, I'm Jack Kennedy. What are you doing? Clearly, he's a janitor. And this guy responds by saying, well, Mr. President, I'm helping put a man on the moon. Think about it. What if he did not do his job? What if you did not do your job? What if there's a giant vacuum in your sector? A giant hole. I don't care what you do or how menial you think your job is. I can tell you right now, God has placed you in a place that you can take care of creation by what you do. And God is working through you in that space. And so whether you work in a cubicle or a corner office or on the street or out of your car as a salesman or in your lounge raising children, we are participating with God's work through our work. And guys, any kind of work that leaves the world in a better place is work that needs to be celebrated. Any kind of work that leaves people, places or things in better shape than before, anything that helps the kingdoms of this world look more like the kingdoms of God where we're elevating righteousness and justice and truth and beauty and goodness and order, all of that should be celebrated as good. Scott Sauls is an American pastor, author that I quote from time to time. He wrote an incredible book called Irresistible Faith. He shows how mothers extend the nurture of God. Artists and entrepreneurs, the creativity of God. Governments and business leaders, the rule of God. Non-profit workers, the mercy and compassion of God. Attorneys and judges, the justice of God. Authors and storytellers, the drama of God. And so on. And so on. So maybe you sitting here, Stephen, and you're saying, Stephen, listen, sounds wonderful. The problem is, I hate my job. And, and this is something that is, to be honest, is actually a modern phenomenon. It's really only in the last 30, 40 years where we've started to believe what Steve Jobs has told us as well. He says, you've got to find what you love. He says, the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking, don't settle. Doesn't that sound amazing? Just find what you love and make money out of it. Gosh, if I could do that. I actually am in many ways, I promise. So you're like, Stephen, we need to have a conversation. <laughs> but there's always going to be the tension 
between doing what we love and doing what we need doing or doing what the world needs doing. And let's not kid, most of us are probably more on this side of the spectrum between doing what we love and doing what needs doing. But what if we changed our view of what's important, of the kinds of things we should be loving? Because if I look at my own heart, generally when I look at what I love, I put me first, I put my bank balance first, but when we understand why God has created us for this world, we're gonna put his glory first and human flourishing first. And when we understand like that janitor, the bigger picture, maybe we're moved beyond simply doing what I love versus doing what needs doing. But I also wanna encourage you to look at Jesus. Hebrews 12 verses two says, who for the joy set before him, he is Christ. Christ endured the cross. And in this one very simple verse, but so profound, we see that Jesus got to do what he loved doing. It didn't involve dying, but he loved saving people. But in order to do what he really wanted to do, he had to do what needed doing. And that was to die on a cross for the sins of the world. But he could do that with joy because he saw the end game he saw the, the eternity shaping role that he was playing by doing what needed doing. And for that, he could love what he was doing. So maybe it's not a matter of simply doing what you love or doing what needs doing. Maybe it's more about getting new hearts, new perspectives that shape what we love and why we love it. And so I wanna leave you with a few questions that are gonna help move you towards that step we're gonna take this morning. And as we do that, I'm gonna ask the band to come up and just play some music gently, Cliff, but here's some very practical questions so that every single one of us can think through living set-apart lives for God's purposes between Monday and Saturday. Question number one, what skill has God given you by which you can bless the world? If we go back to this picture of Adam in the garden, what do you do? It just comes easy to you. And man, you just see potential where no one else sees potential. You see potential in young children and everyone else just dismisses them. Or you see beauty where everyone else sees, us, sees ugliness. Man, you see possibilities where everyone else sees challenges. You just touch something and things turn to gold. Where are you able to cultivate, to take the natural resources of this world and bring out potential. What is that skill? Question number two. What is the people blessing purpose of your job? What is the people blessing purpose of your job? How do you bring joy? Peace, meaning, purpose, kindness, solutions to this world because of what you do. How do you make it possible for the next person to make it possible for the next person to make it possible for the next person to change the world? How do you bring out beauty and point humanity towards something that's bigger than themselves? 
And that's not, not only gonna be the people who we serve, it's gonna to extend to our colleagues and our employees. How are we allowing God's justice, God's righteousness to inform how we deal with our colleagues, our employees, our employers? What is the people blessing purpose of your job? Number three. This may not apply to everyone, but here's a challenge nonetheless. And I encourage all of you to run your work through this challenge. Where and how can you do it most strategically for the mission of God? I've mentioned this before. During our sabbatical, Bianca and I were privileged to spend some time at Summer Church led by the pastor J.D. Greer. And he just wrote such an incredible book. And in it, he says, listen guys, here's what we do with our young people. And we challenge them. We're saying, listen, when you're thinking about what career you're going to be going into, of course you're going to be weighing up how much can you earn. Of course you're going to be weighing up what's going to make you happy. But why don't you throw as a priority into that mix, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. And one of the ways he challenges them to live out this challenge is he says, once you're qualified, instead of jumping into the corporate ladder, and instead of jumping in and trying to make as much money as you can by 25, why don't you take the first two years of your life and go and serve in a place of need? Go and serve an underserved community with the skills that God has given you. Because He knows something. He knows that the community is going to be changed, but this person is going to be changed. And even if they do get back into the corporate pyramid, they're going to be a very different contributor to that sector, right? What about thinking? I mean, you hear about a church plant. What about going and supporting the church plant and working there? What about taking your skills into some of these countries that are in so, so much need of what you can bring? And so his challenge is, and I mentioned this in church before, whatever you do, do it well for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategically for the mission of God. The final question is this. When it comes to whatever you're gonna to do tomorrow morning, how can you honor God with your character? Because let me tell you, character precedes influence. Character precedes leadership. Character is the cement that is gonna help all of this come together. So I wanna ask this question in a slightly different way whether you are an employee or an employer, whether you're on a team, whether you're studying, whether you're doing something and that in your mind is menial, whether you're gonna go and make more money tomorrow than the rest of us will in a year, how can people be glad that you're a Christian? Think about that. How can your people in your employee be glad that you're a Christian? How can they see a connection between what you say you believe and the environment you're creating? How can the people who do business with you be so glad? I'm so glad that person's a Christian. I believe this is one of the ways we've just spoken about the kingdom of God. By answering this question, we're starting to answer the question, what does the kingdom of God look like? because we start to reign and rule with kindness and love and gentleness and perseverance. And so there's the four questions, just again, quickly. 
What skill has God given you by which you can uniquely bless the world? How do you cultivate, bring up potential from resources? What is the people blessing purpose of your job? Where and how can you do what you do most strategically for the mission of God? And finally, how can you honor God in your character? How can people be glad that you are a Christian? So the series is called Step Up. What does a step of faith look like for you? Please, 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 don't say to God, great message, God. Back to the real world tomorrow. How can you discover greater meaning and purpose by obeying God in the sphere of your work and influence? So what is your step? How are you gonna move into living set-apart lives so that God is preparing you for His purposes in this world, including Monday to Saturday? And so Father, I thank You that there is not a person alive in this room who in your opinion is without purpose. Father, that when you created us, when you created our personalities and our so-called natural abilities, you had purpose in that. And when we find ourselves in a particular career with a particular group of people around us, Father God, I pray that you are doing something amidst us, among us, and you're raising our perspective of what we do from an earthly to a heavenly perspective. Greater meaning, greater purpose, regardless of what we do. I pray that there are people in Riverside Community Church who wake up tomorrow morning with such a sense of mission and purpose. But Father, we need you to open our eyes in order to see that. So would you do that, Holy Spirit? Father, I think of those who are saying, Stephen, that's fine, I don't even have a job. And God, I don't always know what the circumstances are around some of those people, but I just pray with this opportunity that I've got that you would become Jehovah Jireh to them. I pray that whatever you're wanting to shape in them in this season of trial, that they are malleable in your hands. At the same time as we live in a broken world, I pray that you open doors for them. Father, I pray for those who believe that what they do doesn't matter. And I pray that your voice will punch through that lie and show them, show them uniquely the voice of the Spirit whispering into their hearts. Here's why what you do matters. Father, I pray that businesses and families and children and institutions and patients will be different because of what you are doing in our midst right now. So Holy Spirit, would this be something way bigger than simply an emotional wow moment, but something where you are changing us, you're shaping us, you're forging us. So 
So church, we're gonna end off by singing in just in a moment, that new song we sang this morning, Waymaker. And what struck me, it wasn't planned this way, what struck me as we were singing the song this morning was how many times the song speaks about the fact that God is working. So we're gonna sing a song honoring, honoring the God who is working. But please don't let your imagination be confined to the fact that God is working until 11 o'clock in a few minutes' time. That God is working tomorrow. And He is inviting you to be working where He is working. As as we sing, let that be what frames our faith, what frames our song this morning as we sing together in Jesus' name. Amen. Please let us stand and sing. Yes, Father, you have begun a good work. And we pray that you would continue this good work in us and through us. As we were singing that song, uh, the verse, God is here mending every heart. As we consider our door of her baby and what we have prayed for. But also in the way of work, how work has been a could be a particular painful thing in light of my story a couple years ago having been retrenched and where I am today to see God's mercy and grace and love over my life and I maybe just want to say that the prayer team will be available after for anyone who's experiencing incredible hurt and pain in light of what's happened at work I want to encourage you to come forward so we can pray And know as we've sung, God is here mending every heart. And so God, we take delight in what you are doing and what you've done. And for this particular issue of work and how we can use it for your glory, Jesus. We want to commit ourselves to that process and the journey and how you invite us in to use work to speak of the great things you've done. And so we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray this thing.